1: Hi, I'm Madigan and you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist, a podcast that explores the world through a personal feminist perspective. Oh my gosh, I am so excited. I need to open up this week's episode with an announcement. The Patreon page for Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist is now live! So there's going to be two tiers. The $5 tier gives you membership to the Angry Feminist Book Club, which will be ad-free. And the $8 tier gives you access to both the book club and ad-free versions of the mini and full-length episodes. So I've had some questions regarding how the book club is going to work. So here's a rundown. I'm working on building a website with a calendar so y'all can track the upcoming books, but for the moment, I will be sure to announce the book with about a month in advance so you have time to purchase and read or listen to the book. The book club is going to be two episodes per month. The first episode will cover the background of the book, like the author, the book's writing and publication process, and the book's impact through a feminist lens. The second episode, I will be breaking down the book itself, but I also want your help. So as you're reading, please feel free to DM me on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist or email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com to add your opinions and voice to the conversation and I will read them aloud on the episode and respond to them. I think this is going to be another super fun way to interact with you all and expand my own literary knowledge and history. So come join me, won't you? There's a link in the bio of the Insta page, but I will also be putting a link in the show notes so you can sign up for the Angry Feminist Book Club today. The first book club episode will be released on February 8th, where I will be discussing the author of this month's book, Barracoon: The Story of the Last Black Cargo by Zora Neale Hurston, and the creation of the book, as well as the significance Kosala's story has had on readers. If you want to read along, I would say be sure to have the book read by February 22nd. The book isn't very long, and I was so into it that I was able to finish it in just a few sittings. All right, now that I've gotten that over with, let's get on to the show. All right. So I wanted to start out this week's episode by talking about the murder of Tyree Nichols. The incidents leading to his death occurred almost a month ago on January 7th, around 8.21 p.m., when five Memphis police officers stopped the 29-year-old on suspicion of reckless driving. During the stop, five cops violently beat him for three minutes, which can be seen from body cam footage. The footage is incomplete as the officers who made the initial stop were plainclothes officers and didn't wear body cameras, and the footage we do have came from officers who later appeared on the scene who were in uniform. The initial report read that the officers tried to make a traffic stop when, quote, a confrontation occurred and the suspect fled the scene on foot. The officers then pursued Tyree, and in attempting to do so, another confrontation occurred. The statement also noted that Tyree complained of having shortness of breath during the incident. Attorney Ben Crump pushed back on the idea from the initial statement that a confrontation had occurred as, quote, it's hard to see Tyree doing anything that resembles a confrontation, but everybody can judge for themselves how unnecessary this was. Tyree was also very close to his mother's home at the time of the attack, and the video shows heartbreaking moments where he cries out for his mother numerous times, which just reminded me of watching the footage of George Floyd's murder and so many other deaths. I feel like that's such a human reaction when you're in a time of pain and struggle to want your mom like you never get too old to being like I, I just want my mom here and in this instance his mom could have possibly even heard what was going on maybe so he felt like if he shouted loud enough maybe she could come and help him in between blows you can also hear him reassuring the officers that he hadn't done anything wrong but they continued to beat him The video shows two officers holding him down as another kicks him, possibly in the head. One of the attackers can be heard saying, I'm going to baton the fuck out of you, before hitting Tyree repeatedly with the weapon. Then two more officers held him upright, while a third repeatedly hit him in his face and body. Tyree's family stated that he was treated like a human piñata. Later on, an officer tells him, You can't go nowhere, man. You're about to get sprayed again. The injuries that Tyree suffered were so severe that he died three days later. His family's attorney, the legendary Ben Crump, said he died from, quote, extensive bleeding. A forensic pathologist hired by the family reviewed the case and found that there were large amounts of blood found in deep tissues of the body. Ahead of the videos release by the Memphis City Vimeo account, Police Chief C.J. Davis described on CNN how the video showed acts that defy humanity. It was five black police officers who committed the crime. To Darius Bean, Demetrius Haley, Emmett Martin III, Desmond Mills Jr., and Justin Smith, who were all fired after an internal department investigation, found them directly responsible for the beating and were found to have violated the department policies regarding excessive force, duty to intervene, and duty to render aid. They have been charged with second-degree murder, official misconduct, aggravated assault, aggravated kidnapping, and official oppression." And I know that these events happened almost a month ago, so maybe this process took a little bit longer than it's seeming as the person just reading it after the fact and doing the research. But it seems to me that a lot of times the white officers who are responsible for these types of crimes are usually put on leave. The investigation is maybe a little bit different. There seems to be a little bit more bonding amongst the boys in blue. And this just feels a little bit different to me, and I can't help but think that possibly the race of the perpetrators also has something to do with that. Prosecutors said last Thursday that all five officers are to blame in Tyree's death. They said while each of five individuals played a different role in the incident in question, the actions of all of them resulted in the death of Tyree Nichols, and they are all responsible. Two firefighters involved that night have also been put on leave, along with two other sheriff's deputies. It's unknown right now what their part in this incident was. Four out of the five officers that have been charged had previous infractions within the department. Back in 2016, Haley, a corrections officer at the time, was accused of participating in a prison assault that left one inmate unconscious. Haley, Martin, Mills, and Smith were all reprimanded or suspended before the incident for their failure to report when they used physical force, failure to report a domestic dispute, or for damages sustained to their squad cruisers. In anticipation for the protests sure to follow, President Biden asked the nation to keep the protests peaceful and to avoid violence, which I resent since it's rarely the protesters who bring the real violence. Although Tyree's mother echoed the same sentiment when she said, I want each and every one of you to protest in peace. I don't want us burning our cities, tearing up the streets, because that's not what my son stood for. And if you guys are here for me and Tyree, you will protest peacefully. I kind of resent the fact that there is a reputation for these types of protests being unpeaceful. And I think it's really hard to rationalize with people when they feel really, really upset about something. And I, for one, am totally on board with how anybody responds to this type of news. I am not going to be one who's like, we got to protect these businesses and these buildings. And like, at the same time, yes, I understand that it is, you know, livelihoods of people and things like that. And I am not condoning it. But I also understand Why there has been need throughout our history to take things to such a level in order for the wider population to understand the pain and the emotions that people are feeling throughout these protests. And in many, many of the stories that either I've reported on the show or, you know, things that I've read on my own, this is pretty common for, you know, the parent or the loved ones to come forward and ask everybody to please protest peacefully. You know, this isn't what their deceased loved one would want. I would say this is a pretty common announcement for family members to make after an event like this. But I feel, you know, I feel some sort of way about it at the same time just because I do respect anybody's, you know, anybody's actions when it comes to protesting because I think that sometimes things have to get a little messy, you know, as the amazing John Lewis said, you got to make good trouble sometimes, you know, especially thinking about the fact that there has been so many deaths that are so similar to Tyrese that didn't get a really huge, you know, response from it. I think about, you know, the months and months that we spent protesting after George Floyd's murder. But, you know, that isn't how we respond to every single murder that is done by a police officer. But I feel like the ones that really make their mark in history, specifically, you know, the ones that come to my mind are Rodney King, and of course, George Floyd, they were messy. And they were volatile. There was a lot going on. But I think because of the fact that this became such a huge news story and such a huge deal, we remember the story of Rodney King and we remember the story of George Floyd. And there are others, you know, Eric Garner, there's Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, you know, the list goes on and on. There are a lot of those names that I think are really Prominent and in the forefront of our memories. But then there are also so many others that fade away. You know, I just spoke about the murder of Keenan Anderson a few weeks ago. That's not really something I'm hearing a whole lot about in the media. I feel like there's been a lot of stories that I've been sharing lately that run along the same lines. And not that I am saying that we necessarily have to go out and cause destruction every single time that somebody is murdered by the police. But I Really wish that those attempts that we had made in the past to really make a change, I wish they would have done more. You know, it just seems like this is the problem that isn't getting any better. People are becoming more and more desensitized to it. You know, there's a lot of conversation over whether or not, you know, the viewing of body cam footage is a positive or a negative, if it's actually helping create. Change in our policies and within the police force, which it doesn't really seem to be doing, is it causing more harm than good? I don't know. And I personally don't really feel like I am someone who can tell you whether it's doing more harm than good, especially because, and I've explained this before on the show, I for one find a responsibility in watching these videos. And I do this a lot with a lot of the true crime that I consume as well. And maybe this isn't the healthiest thing in the world, but I. I'm a very empathetic person and part of me feels like a way to pay my respects to the person who went through something terrible is for me to understand it as best that I can to be able to put myself in those shoes to truly be able to be empathetic because that's when I start getting angry and care about things and want to create change. So I feel like especially as a white woman, it is my responsibility to watch these videos, to learn about these stories, because it isn't part of my existence. It isn't something that I've ever had to worry about. But I'm also never going to post these videos. I'm never going to encourage anybody else to watch them. I think that you have to draw your own lines and figure out what you feel comfortable with and go from there. But now you know how I feel personally and how I go through about a lot of these things. But Something else that's always really important to me is that we never lose sight of who the victim was when they were alive. So here's a little bit of information about who Tyree Nichols was. Tyree was an employee for FedEx, and he also had a four-year-old son. And my gosh, every time they have children, that's just like another knife to the heart for me. I mentioned that he, you know, was crying out for his mother during the attack and And it seems like he was also very, very close to his mother in his life because he had his mother's name tattooed on his arm, which I love. I actually have my mom's handwriting of the word mom with a heart around it on the inside of my leg. So again, another dagger to the heart. Tyree also suffered from Crohn's disease and had severe weight loss problems as well. His family described him as cheerful and a person who loves to skateboard and loves sunsets. In conclusion to this section, I want to leave you with what Ben Crump has said to Time. When people see the video, it's going to remind them of Rodney King. Tragically, the only difference in many regards is that Tyree didn't survive. In my research, I also learned about the mental health effects of the black community when these sorts of murders occur. A first ever study in 2018 found that a police killing of an unarmed black person triggered days of poor mental health for black people living in that state over the following three months. A significant problem, given that there are about a thousand police killings annually on average, with black people comprising a disproportionate 25 percent to 30 percent of those. The accumulation of painful days over the course of a year was comparable to the rate experienced by diabetics, according to the study's author David R. Williams, Florence Sprague Norman, and Laura Smart Norman, who are professors of public health and chair of the Department of Social and Behavioral Science at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. I also got a lot of that information pretty much directly from a Harvard EDU website article. And I did what I could to look for some resources for people to get support for this specific problem, but it seems like it is a very under-recognized issue. So that's something that I definitely am going to want to discuss more in the future. It's actually something that I will be discussing a little bit in the upcoming full-length episode on Monday, as I will be discussing a lot about the history of medicine and the Black community to kick off Black History Month. And talk about some of the discrepancies in medical care and things like that. But I do encourage anybody who is feeling any sort of despair or mental anguish during this time to please reach out to loved ones, contact a therapist. I also think that it would be really great to find community and to talk to each other and find a way to come together in your pain and maybe through that help create some change. My heart is truly with Tyree's family, with his son, with all of his loved ones and everybody in the surrounding area who is affected by this terrible tragedy. I truly hope that the perpetrators involved are convicted of their crimes and are punished appropriately and that we can continue to see a trend such as that whenever these incidents occur because those who have been murdered deserve justice. All right, before I move on to the rest of the show, let's take a quick commercial break.
0: During Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. And how he rose from nothing to become New
1: York's King of the Egg Cream.
0: So if you like funny, true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All right, I'm back. And I want to talk about a drug for diabetes that has been sweeping the celebrity culture as a weight loss drug. And I find it problematic as fuck. One of those drugs is Ozempic, which is made to treat diabetes. The FDA approved the injectable medication for treating diabetes in 2017. There is also another drug called Wegovi, which has a higher dosage of the active ingredient in Ozempic called semaglutide, which was approved in 2021 to fight obesity. Semaglutide is actually used to lower blood sugar levels and regulate insulin. In September 2022, Variety reported that stars are, quote, quietly singing the drug's praises. On TikTok, hashtag Ozempic has been viewed over 273 million times, and users of the app are sharing their supposed medication-induced weight loss and swapping stories about side effects. I'm going to stop right here for a moment because all of this already is driving my little recovered mind absolutely berserk. When I was going through my eating disorder, a lot of these like, quote unquote, pro chat rooms and sites were super popular. It was on Tumblr, like it was everywhere. And it was a place essentially for all of us who were really struggling in our eating disorders to go online and essentially give each other these terrible tips and tricks to, you know, worsen our disorders, essentially. And it was this feeding ground that was so unhealthy for me but at the time I was like look at this great resource and this is wonderful and like look at all these other people who feel the same way that I do about these things and it really really like Gave me a sense of validation in what I was doing in my disorder. And I felt really, really encouraged by the other people in that quote unquote community to continue with the terrible trajectory that I was going on. So the fact that now we have TikTok and Instagram and all these other like social media devices that make it even more accessible for people to not just like read other people's stories and get advice from them but to also see them. I think that with body dysmorphia, that's also something that adds to a lot of the triggering aspects of the things that we read online that are like this, that are so embedded into our diet culture. So it is a huge, huge problem, and I'm going to go into it more. The fact that people are using this drug for weight loss in this kind of like Quick fix way, which is so problematic and unhealthy. Um, But it's also causing major shortages of these drugs for people who actually need them. And it's really unbelievable that even in this day and age, we can get these off label drugs, which essentially means like using a drug not for its initial intent. We can get these drugs so easily from our doctors. I mean, I feel like, especially in Los Angeles, the access that I've had to Pain medications, steroids, I mean, all of these things has become way more accessible to me than I did back in the Midwest when I was growing up. These quick fixes are very, very popular here, and I think that that's also true in a lot of other places in the country and in the world. So it really isn't that hard to find a doctor who will pretty much prescribe you any medication that you want. The concern with Ozempic is that it is becoming associated with vanity instead of as a critical medication for patients with diabetes. So let's talk a little bit about how Ozempic works. Both Ozempic and Wegovy are designed to be injected once a week in the patient's stomach, thigh, or arm. Already, I'm out. I'm not injecting anything. Needles terrify me unless you're tattooing me or piercing me. Besides the dosage of semaglutide, the drug also imitates a hormone called glucagon, which limits appetite by signaling to our bodies that we feel full and prompting our stomachs to empty more slowly. According to Dr. Janice Jin Huang, For patients taking the medication, foods that used to be really exciting to them are no longer exciting. She also adds that the medication has not been significantly studied in people without diabetes or excess weight. According to Dr. Huang, these drugs are not designed for normal weight people who want to get down to being super thin. Side effects actually include facial aging, which I feel like would be a big deterrent for a lot of people thyroid cancer, and kidney failure, as well as nausea and dehydration. They may also feel fatigued and malaise, which is a general feeling of discomfort. Their bowel movements may change, and some patients experience diarrhea, while others become severely constipated, so bad that people have actually ended up in the ER. The drug is meant for people with type 2 diabetes, and WeGovy is for adults specifically with obesity or excess weight, with at least one, quote, weight related condition, which the FDA considers to be issues like high blood pressure, type 2 diabetes, or high cholesterol. It is important for me to note that the FDA uses the Body Mass Index, or BMI, as a metric for obesity. The BMI is an outdated medical scale to determine someone's health by looking at their height and weight. While looking at the person's height and weight, it does not take into account muscle mass, bone density, or overall body composition or racial and sex differences. So in my opinion, it is not a very reliable meter to a person's weight relative to their health. The other problem with these meds is that it is stupid expensive without insurance. Wegovi costs over $1,300 for a 28-day supply, and Ozempic can cost around $892 for a monthly supply without insurance. On top of that, people who do not meet the FDA's criteria will likely have trouble getting insurance to cover these meds. While only a few celebrities have admitted to taking Ozempic or Wegovy, many have shared their opinions, including many who are speaking out about why they chose not to take it. One of the celebrities who did admit to taking the drug in the past was Chelsea Handler, who revealed that she had taken Ozempic without the knowledge that it was meant for people with type 2 diabetes. She told the host of the Call Her Daddy podcast that she didn't even know she was on it and claimed that her anti-aging doctor just hands it out to anybody, which, again, I wouldn't be surprised if she did know, you know, that it was for weight loss and then, you know, found out it was for diabetes and then walked back on it. That's fine, too. You know, whatever. She did say, though, that she stopped taking the drug when a friend educated her on what the drug was used for and added that she stopped taking it because she didn't feel that she needed it. She was like, I don't need to take a pill to lose weight. She was also concerned about the number of people she knew who irresponsibly used it. Real Housewives of New Jersey star Jackie Goldschneider commented on a People magazine post on Instagram from January 25th about Ozempic, tweeting back that the drug is, quote, an eating disorder in a needle. Eating disorder and body positivity activist and actress Jamila Jamil also called out the potential harm of the drug. She wrote on Instagram, "'Rich people are buying this stuff off prescription for upwards of $1,000. Actual diabetics are seeing shortages. It's a new mainstream craze in Hollywood. Hope this doesn't end the same way we were told opioids were safe.' There is little to no discussion of the side effects in any advertising online. I'm deeply concerned, but I can't change any of your minds because fat phobia has our generation in a chokehold. In the caption, she wrote, wishing you all well and hope you have doctors that care about more than your size. The use of any diet pill or laxative for weight control is linked with a later diagnosis of an eating disorder. Among women without eating disorder diagnoses, those who use diet pills and laxatives for weight control had higher odds of having an eating disorder diagnosis within one to three years than those who did not report using these products, according to a study from the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and Boston's Children's Hospital. They analyzed data from 10,058 women and girls aged 14 to 36 from 2001 to 2016 for their research. They say that much like with tobacco and alcohol, starting harmful substances can set young people on a path to worsening problems. The use of over-the-counter diet pills or laxatives is not recommended by healthcare providers as a way to manage weight, and they can have severe consequences. This all stems from what we have learned from our society that thinness means everything positive and fatness means everything negative. We will go to such extreme lengths to mold our bodies into the image that we so badly want to see instead of taking the time to dig into why we feel the need to do these things. When I was sick, I used over-the-counter diet pills and laxatives. Let me tell you, it wasn't a pretty sight. I once shit my pants in the middle of the night. I also majorly fucked up my kidneys, my immune system, and so many other physical health problems that came along with abusing these drugs. I had no idea what I was taking, what the side effects were, and I honestly didn't care. It took treatment, medication, and therapy for me to see that my body had never been the problem. Even for those without a diagnosis, fat phobia in our culture will make us feel and act in ways that we rationally wouldn't otherwise, so that we can feel like a special and important and loved member of society. I hope that one day these get-thin-quick schemes will be over, and I hope that laws can be changed to help prevent these drugs from being sold and prevent further dysmorphic behavior in the future. Okay, lastly, I wanted to share a very cool new TV show that's going to be coming to Netflix. And it is made for kids. So maybe not everybody who I'm talking to right now is going to want to watch this show. But this is a TV show that I so wish would have been around when I was a child. And I also kind of had a similar idea for a TV show when I was in college, an animated show. Um, But it had nothing to do with princesses. Princesses aren't really my vibe. But anyways... A few years ago, Savannah Guthrie, one of the co-hosts from the Today Show, wrote a book called Princesses Wear Pants, and it is now being turned into a kids animated series called Princess Power on Netflix Junior, which I didn't know that Netflix Junior existed, but cool. The show follows princesses of four major fruit kingdoms, Kira Kiwi, Beatrice or B Blueberry, Rita Raspberry, and Penelope or Penny, Pineapple. So cute. The show follows them as they come together and embrace their differences to help make the world a better place. The series also features Bee's two dads, King Barton and Sir Benedict Blueberry, who are played by Andrew Reynolds and Tan France. Andrew Reynolds is a Broadway star and Tan France, if you don't know, is from the Netflix show Queer Eye. Love him so much. The series will also feature guest stars like the legendary actress who will always be Anita in West Side Story in my eyes, Rita Marino, and I love that she is becoming more and more part of our entertainment again. I just, I love her so much. So each of the characters have their own little special like talents and interests. Kira loves animals and has the ability to connect with them. I haven't seen the show yet, so it sounds like it's some sort of like telepathic thing or whatever, but she's great with animals. Awesome. Rita is an inventor, which I love. Penny is very science-minded, which we love as well. And B is the athletic one, and she has lots of different talents in different sports. Commonsensemedia.org says from tea parties and playing dress up to flying high above the sky and going on rescue missions, these princesses can do it all. And I just got so happy when I saw this. I love that Drew Barrymore is gonna be one of the executive producers. I'm just such a big fan of hers. And I love that this is a show that kids can watch now and that this is something that's actually being made. Because I think about myself when I was younger and if there had been more representation in my life, I wonder how much more knowledgeable I would have been on so many things as a kid just from, you know, subconsciously taking in all of these different images and things like that. I love the fact that there are more and more shows that are representing, you know, same-sex couples and parents. I think that that is a great representation. I'm amazed at how many kids' still have questions about, you know, when their classmates have same-sex parents and things like that. So I like that that is becoming more and more part of the mainstream conversation. And I also really love just the basic idea of princesses wear pants, because I think that as a, you know, cisgender girl growing up, we were always expected to fit into one of two categories, either the princess or the tomboy. And I fit into both of those categories really, really well because outside of skating, you couldn't get me in a dress. I was not foo-foo. I liked to get dirty. And I was very, very active. Always had, you know, markers under my fingernails and paint in my hair and things like that. But then when it came to skating, I was like, the more rhinestones, the better. I had pink blades on my skates. I was definitely more of a pink, you know, bright person on the ice where off the ice, I was a little bit more, you know, muted and things like that. And a little bit more rough around the edges. Definitely. I was never what you, call ladylike nor am I now so I love that there is this representation of these young girls who can be both of those things simultaneously and show that that's like cool and okay and we don't have to fit into any sort of these boxes or anything like that all right well I feel like I rambled on a lot more during this episode than I normally do so I hope that you all enjoyed my babbling I'm so excited to start this Angry Feminist Book Club with you all. So if you are interested, please, please, please go to the link in the show notes or the link in the Instagram bio to go to the Patreon page and sign up for one of the tiers, whichever works best for you. Also, if you have any stories that you want me to share in the future, whether it be in the full-length episodes or in the mini, please go ahead and DM me on Instagram at Angry Feminist or email me at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. Lastly, I don't feel like I've reminded you all in a while, but it would truly, truly mean the world to me if you would hop on over to that Apple Podcast app, leave a five star review, and even just a short, quick sentence about why you enjoy the show. It really helps people who are, you know, possibly interested in giving it a listen, the incentive to actually press play. And I really, really appreciate when you do so. Also, you can go to your Spotify app and rate the show over there. All right, that is everything that I have for you today. I hope you all are well. With all that being said, I encourage you to rage on. Bye.
0: Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God. And we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Wine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.